Good morning and welcome to our service today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Matthew Dirksen and I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at Arendelle Alliance Church. And I just want to welcome you to the service. Uh, before we begin, we just have a few announcements we want to share with you. And the first is that next Sunday is going to be communion. And so we just want to remind you, uh, grab some elements at home, whatever you want to use for that, and just be prepared for the communion uh, service. That's going to be an awesome time. Communion is so fun. And even if we're doing this uh, through distance, it is something that unites us. It unites us to the body of Christ when we do communion together. And so uh, you won't want to miss out on that. The other is that uh, August, or August, <laughs> we're in August, but September 2nd, is going to be our kickoff for youth and quizzing. We're going to do a virtual Zoom kickoff. We've never done this before as far as the kickoff goes, uh, but it's going to be epic. It's going to be fun. So if you're between the grade 7, between grade 7 and 12, and you want to be a part of our uh, youth or quizzing ministry, make sure that you are there, that you are on Zoom uh, September 2nd, that's a Wednesday, from 7 to 9, we'll be just having a great kickoff event. And uh, I'll be sending out more details through email. So if you are someone who's new, you've been watching our services for a bit, or this is your first one, and you know nothing about our program, well, guess what? Send the office an email, send me an email, and we'll make sure we get you the, the info that you need so that you can be there at that awesome event. And we'll also be updating, well, I'll be updating the website soon. I'm really bad at that. I'm so sorry. If you've looked at it and you've noticed things are a little out of whack, I'll fix it. And uh, some of the info will be on the, the website as well. With that, uh, we just have one more announcement. And that's that, that uh, we are slowly beginning the process of, of reopening. And we have not reopened yet. It's not something even for next week we're thinking about. It's in the future. We're just preparing for it. So this Sunday, you might notice that for the rest of the service, there is people in the audience. And that's because on this Sunday, uh, the day we recorded it, there was around 40 people-ish in the audience. And those were uh, worship team leaders. It was greeters. And uh, it was ushers. And it's just people who need to be trained up as to how we do Sunday services now with the new COVID guidelines that we've laid uh, or put in place as a church. So um, you may notice that there's people, it's not because you've reopened, but we are really excited at the prospect of reopening as soon as possible. And so just to keep you guys in the loop and those of you who, who have been invited, just as a reminder, we have a couple things, guidelines that we'll be requiring of you whenever we reopen. And I want to just start the conversation now, letting you guys know a little bit as to what to expect and to help you get excited about the prospect of coming, who knows, sometime uh, in, the, in the near future. Uh, a couple things, and the most, the most important thing will be to check your emails. Uh, we'll send out an email invitation inviting you to our service. So let's say you are someone like myself, you're involved in the, in the Sunday services, and, and you're, you're needing to be trained into our new procedures, uh, you'll receive an email and you'll be required to register before, uh, I guess the, the latest would be Wednesday before that Sunday. So the Wednesday before the Sunday you're going to attend, you'll be required to register by that day uh, to let us know that you're coming. And then that's a, it's a really important step. You can't miss it. In order to attend our Sunday services, you must register online by Wednesday. 
the day, uh, the week before your service that you're wanting to attend. If you miss that deadline, you will not be able to attend that service and you'll have to wait to the next time you are invited to a, to a service. So that is really important. It can't be over the phone. It's all online and that's so that we have a, a way to, to keep our numbers in check and uh, there will be a limit and all that. So you will see that in emails. More information will come in emails. And uh, we want you, I, I, this is just a reminder for myself, please read those emails well. There is uh, guidelines that we expect you, anyone who enters this building, we expect you to have read them and to be following them. And we also ask that you keep us accountable to those guidelines. In fact, uh, this Sunday, I was walking around and I'd forgotten my mask. And yes, I was doing the sermon, but I wanted to have that on until I go up on stage. And so I had Bruce lovingly tell me, hey, uh, put your, on your mask. And that is important. We need those reminders because this is a little bit unique. Um, so that's one of the things that, that you'll be required when you enter this building is to wear a mask for the whole time you are in this church uh, for the service and everything. Even if, even if you want to, to stand or talk to someone, whatever, always have that mask on. Even if you have to cough, have that mask on. Don't take it off. Um, there's other things that, that you'll be required to do and all that will be in the email. So just read those through well. Uh, lastly, I wanna just say, before we go to time for prayer, that Ning Ning said it really well at staff meeting this week, that church is a privilege. Uh, I was reflecting on that, church is a privilege. I myself have never actually experienced and, and understood that church is a privilege that I got to, to go to a church and worship freely. And now with COVID changing that, uh, we're going to be going into a new phase where I think we all will really understand in a new way what a great privilege it is for us that we get to attend church um, and, and that we are not facing a persecution where we have to be underground. We're not facing um, restrictions that says we can't. It's just about trying to do it the best way possible. So as we enter this time in which we slowly start reopening and, and, and the idea of reopening, as we start talking about that and getting excited about that, whenever we do reopen, just a reminder that church is a privilege, that it can get taken away. We don't know what the future holds, but when you come, it's a privilege. And that also means that as you deal with these different guidelines coming, it's just a privilege to step foot in a church building with other believers and getting to worship God together. And so even if there's things that you may not dis, you may disagree with, things that might be a bit of a hassle, we just ask you to do it with, with joy, the joy of the Lord, knowing that we get to worship our God. Uh, with that, let's pray. And again, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And I ask that you pause the video and that you, you look at the e-bulletin and look at the prayer needs that this church has for our ministry workers, our international workers, that's people who are overseas serving and our different Alliance churches uh, throughout the province. Be, be praying for those people. So I'm just gonna open up this time of prayer. I'll invite you to pause the video when I'm done. And then I want you just to pray in your individual households, whatever that looks like, pray. And, and then we'll go to time of, uh, oh, then we'll continue on to the service. So bow with me. Oh Lord God, you are great. You are powerful. And Lord, as we, as we approach your throne of grace, Lord God, we just ask for mercy. Lord, we often sin against you. And Lord, I ask that 
right now you reveal to us the ways in which we have sinned against you, which ways we have, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Lord God, forgive us for our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you are filled with grace and mercy and that you forgive us our sins, that you do not hold it against us, but that you wash us clean from our sins. Lord God, we, we ask that you continue to bless us in different ways as a church and as a body of believers, Lord. Uh, continue to, to give us the finances to run. And Lord, as we, you bless us, may we, as a church and as individual believers, may we be a blessing to those around us, to our neighbors, to the poor, to the needy, uh, to our nations. Uh, Lord God, to the world, may we, may we be a blessing to others as you bless us. And Lord God, we're so thankful for the way in which you've blessed us, in which you've given us our daily needs. And even as we look at reopening as a church, it is a blessing and a privilege, Lord, that we are able to even uh, think about meet, meeting together in public. What uh, an exciting day that will be. And Lord, we ask that that day come quick. And Lord, we ask you heal the, the, vir the COVID virus, Lord God, across the world, that you'll wipe it out. We ask that in Jesus' name that you wipe out the COVID virus. And Lord God, we also ask that you give us patience as we continue to deal with this and give us wisdom as how we should best go about our, our lives right now in, in this world that we live in, in this current situation we're going through. Lord God, we ask that you also use the rest of the service to, to make a change in our life, whether it's through worship, through the kids' talk, through the sermon, through your word being read, Lord, may you impact our hearts. So we, we come right now with open hearts, with open ears and open eyes, and just ask, Lord God, will you speak to us? Will you transform us? Even if it's a little bit, will you transform us to be more like your son? Lord God, we thank you again for all the ways in which you've looked after us, and we ask that you protect those who are going through really difficult times right now, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. People are under attack. People are struggling. And so, Lord God, will you be with them? Will you speak to them? And will you hear our prayers? And, Lord God, we know that you do. We know you hear our prayers. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to pause the video and pray in your individual uh, households uh, before you move on to the rest of the service. Thank you so much. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy for the judge, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth produces its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. Before we begin, would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you. Lord, it's so exciting to have people back in the building. We're excited for what you're doing. We're so thankful for the details as they've fallen into place. We ask that you would guide the process as we continue to seek new ways of what it means to be your people that you would guide us, that you give us wisdom, lead us. And Father, this morning for the service from the opening through to the benediction, would you have your way? Would you bless those who are at home watching? 
Would you bless us who are here in person? Father, we thank Pastor Matt as he speaks, Nathan and the worship team as they come and lead us, Aaron as she brings the children's future. Father, we leave these things at your feet, asking that you be glorified in us and through us today. In the name of Christ, amen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Kids Talk today. My name is Erin Petty, and I'm the Director of Children's Ministry here at Arendelle Lions Church. Today, I have brought something with me that I'm sure most of the grown-ups have, and some of the kids may have on them. Kids might have more of it at home. But it's this. Can you tell what I have? It's money. It's a $10 bill. It's money. We all have money, and money is useful, and we need money to do things, right? So we all know what to do with money. What do you like to spend your money on? I like potato chips. But we all have the things that we like to spend our money on. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that money is bad and that we shouldn't have money. God blesses us with money. And we need money to do things in our world. We have bills to pay. Well, grown-ups do have bills to pay. We have to buy a house and we have to have cars to drive or have a way to get around and money to do things like swim lessons and things like that. It costs money to do those things. So money isn't bad. And when we hold money far away from us, it allows us to see past the money. So when I hold the money out like this, I can see the people I love. I can see the church. I can see people who love me. And if I point it over here, I can even see the cross, which is a reminder of Jesus dying for my sins. So I can see all of that still when I hold the money far away from me. But if I hold the money close up to me, all I see is money. And that's where the problem comes. If I love money so much, it leads to trouble. If I love money so much, I can't see the people that I love, and I can't see the people that I need to love, and I can't see the church. I can't see anything except the money. And that's when we get into trouble. So having money isn't the problem. And there's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, that I'd like to read for you. And it says this, Give this command to those who are rich, with things of this world. Tell them not to be proud. Tell them to hope in God and not in their money. Money cannot be trusted, but God takes care of us richly. He gives us everything to enjoy. Tell the rich people to do good and to be rich in doing good deeds. Tell them to be happy and to give and to be ready to share. So God is saying, let's use our money to do good things for other people. So my challenge to you is, what kind of good things can you think of to do this week with your money? Maybe you can give some to the food bank. Maybe you can find somebody that needs some help and maybe purchase things for them or whatever. But I challenge you, find something good to do with your money this week. Let's pray, my friends. Dear God, thank you for giving us money and thank you so much for taking care of us. Help us to remember to do good things in your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, today's Bible reading will be from uh, Acts. We're going to be reading chapter 9, verses 1 to 22. 
Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one, who you were, the one you were persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and through, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take the, my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was, the disciples, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those called on, who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is this Messiah. Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you, God, that you are great, that you deserve all our praise, all the, all the glory we have to give, God, the uh, adoration and admiration from our hearts. We thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus, for everything that you've done, that we owe you every good thing that we have, Lord Jesus. It's all from you. I ask that as we uh, sing together now, as we praise you, whether, uh, whether or not with our mouths, but with our hearts, that we would be focused on you, that we would glorify you with everything we have got, Lord Jesus, that uh, we would put away the distractions, the other, other things in life, God, that so easily entangle us and pull us away from you, and that we could turn to you with our hearts, God, and yeah, sing praises in our hearts to you. Amen. Here be 
Thanks, you guys. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's great seeing uh, so many faces. Uh, you may be wondering, Matthew, what have you been up to? Because it's been a long time since I've been uh, on the stage preaching to you. And I just want to give you a quick update before I, I continue on with the sermon, just to, to give you a little uh, picture into the life of Janae and I and what we've had the last little bit. And, and first of all, thank you so much to the elders and Joran for not making me preach uh, a lot the last little bit. I've been focused on my ordination and it's been a blessing uh, to be able to have the freedom to, to just give that my, my all and not to be uh, having to do too much extra stuff. So they've been really kind to me and been doing that. And so I've um, mostly finished that, have a little bit to go with, with my ordination. And Janae and I were just on uh, vacation for two weeks. It was amazing. Minus a little blip where I got a concussion. And so if I forget your names, I'm sorry. I don't remember most. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm doing really good. I just have a little bit of memory loss of, of the accident, which is all good. I don't want to remember that anyways. Um, so I still like wakeboarding, even though it caused me a few hours of, of my life. Um, but uh, it's all good. And it's a pleasure to be back. It's a pleasure to be bringing the word today to you guys. Uh, when Jordan said, Matthew, we want to get you on the pulpit. Which one do you want? Uh, I knew we were in Acts. I was getting excited. He's like, you know, take a look at some of these. And I wanted Acts 9. It is such an awesome uh, bit of scripture. It's, it is Saul's testimony. Well, I guess Luke's testimony of Saul um, and what he got, went through at his conversion. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dig into this. So let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much. Lord, that, that you are here with us today. That you are our Lord and our God. And that, Lord, you are the God of the book of Acts. That, that this book that Luke recorded, that you inspired Luke to write, is a story and a testament to the way in which you are in control of your church. The way you are in control of, of our lives. So, Lord God, we thank you. I ask that as, as I speak, that, Lord God, your Holy Spirit will anoint me, that the words I say will come from you, and that, Lord God, um, you will change all of our hearts, whether it's in a little or big way, that you will shape us and mold us more and more in line with your Son. And, Lord Jesus, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts. Uh, we're going to be just going through Saul's testimony and it'll be, my, my hope is that as we go through this, you'll be left, you'll leave this, this church, you'll leave this, this message online with a deeper appreciation of Saul's conversion and also that you'll be challenged yourself uh, in a really unique way. But, and before I start, I want to introduce you to a coach, Coach Buddy. Uh, for those of you who have Netflix, which I assume is everyone, I know that's a bad assumption, not all of you have Netflix, but I mean, come on, most of us have heard of Netflix at least, so get a subscription uh, and watch, it's called, uh, I can't remember what it's called right now, it's called Last Chance University. Um, it is this football documentary about uh, this, these college kids, and most of them have done something that has, have led to them getting kicked off of a Div 1 team. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's just the best uh, college football in, the, in America, uh, Div 1. And so they get kicked off of these teams, and they go to this last chance university, 
where they, they have kind of their last shot to get back at Div 1 and then maybe make the NFL. And Coach Buddy is the coach of the East Mississippi Community College team. Uh, that's the team that this documentary focuses on for the first uh, two seasons. And when you see, if you ever have heard of this, if you ever watched this, um, you'll be shocked as to why am I bringing this, this up in a church service, because he is an angry guy. He is a foul-mouthed, angry man. And it's filled with college kids who are foul-mouthed, have problems, and have challenges. And so it, it isn't necessarily the most PG-rated thing. I think it's PG-13, so make sure you're with older kids. But I really encourage you to watch this because it has an amazing glimpse into, um, really, human life. It shows it in a raw form. And the, the most raw form of all is with the coach, Coach Buddy. He is an angry, angry man. Right from the get-go, the all first uh, six episodes, um, he is angry and he is livid at these players. Because in his mind, he says, you know, if I want the best of these players... I'm just going to have to push them so hard and make them wish they were dead kind of idea. And then that'll make them just go that extra mile and get back to where they should be in Div 1 and NFL. And in one of the last episodes, he gets so mad at the refs that he actually does have it out with a ref. A football ref. I mean, this is something you do not do. He is that angry of a man. And I think that anger... That, that coach Buddy has, and I wish I had a picture to show this. I didn't think of that until this morning, uh, to show him in his angry moments. He's a big, burly coach who's just red-faced, yelling at the ref. And that picture, that, that anger, I think reflects really well in the anger that Saul has here at the beginning of Acts 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Acts 9, it starts out with just a description of who Saul is and his mindset towards the the believers. It says that, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the uh, disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belong to the way, he may bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is breathing murder and threats, breathing threats and murder, I guess, to to, uh, the disciples. And we get a glimpse of this, as Jordan probably highlighted. I haven't even seen the, uh, the last week's one because it's going up today, the day I'm preaching this, for next week. But Acts 8 gives us a little insight as to how angry Saul is. Acts 8, we, are, we just see Saul agreeing with the death of Stephen. Stephen is put to death, and Saul's like, yes, put this man to death, right? And not only that, the church experiences such a big persecution that everyone except for the apostles scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. And it says in verse 3 that Saul is still ravaging the church and would enter house after house, dragging them off, putting them into prison. So in, in, in chapter 9 here, where we're at in our, in our passage, he's so angry, he must feel like, you know, I've gotten everyone in Jerusalem. I need to go to Damascus because it's spread, and I want to stop this. I need every single person who believes in the way uh, to be locked up in prison. And when you read that, that first two verses, um, that phrase, the way, I think it's a really cool um, phrase that, that Luke uses because in John, uh, what is it, John 14, I think it is that, that Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. 
and his disciples here, we see a few times they go by the way, and soon they'll be go by uh, Christians. Um, but that's a really cool thing, that just a little tidbit there about the way. And so Saul is so angry, he's like, I wanted to put all of these people in prison. I don't care where they are, who they are, men, women, children, I'm stopping this. That's his attitude. So he heads to Damascus. So let's read, we'll read just a little bit, three to nine here, I'll read this out. Um, As he's traveling, he was nearing Damascus, and a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and uh, though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there's so much in that little passage that I just want to slowly break up, just to slow us down. We've heard this story, I'm sure, many times. And some of these things we can just gloss over. But right from the beginning, this is a really interesting picture. We have Jesus revealing himself to Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul. That repetition, right? That instantly makes you think of the Old Testament. You know, we have the Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, and even in Luke's own gospel, Martha, Martha. You know, Jesus or God does this often when he wants to get his people's attention. When something big is about to happen, he says, Saul, Saul, I need your attention. I'm going to repeat your name twice. I need you to focus. Guess what? I'm Jesus. And that is the kind of thing that happens. And Saul's like, whoa, who are you, Lord? And some Bible translations capitalize the L. Some don't. That word, Lord, isn't necessarily referring to him saying, oh, I already know it's Jesus. It's more of a sign of understanding, wow, this, whoever this is, whoever this voice is, is way over me. And it's a sign of respect and kind of being like humble and honoring. That's what the, the title Lord there means. It's not Lord God. Um, not in this case, at least. And so Saul at the beginning is kind of like, whoa, I know you're, this is crazy. I know this is nuts, but I don't, like, what, who are you? Like, he actually isn't sure necessarily who he is. And he, and, and Jesus is like, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That again, really interesting little statement. When you and I or anyone in the church are experiencing persecution, Jesus is experiencing that persecution. Because we know, I mean, it's not that Jesus was necessarily being persecuted. Jesus died on a cross and was resurrected into heaven at this time. So we know Jesus isn't there, but yet he's the one being persecuted while Saul is going out and locking up all the disciples. So with that That just kind of comforts us. When we are facing persecution, it's important for us to remember that our Lord Jesus is actually there, not only with us as our sympathetic high priest, but he's actually experiencing it because it's actually against him. It's not just against us, it's against him as well. I don't know, I think that's a really 
awesome picture. And, and I think especially for our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing persecution, uh, this is something we need to be continuing to, to pray for them, that they're reminded that they're not alone. Jesus never lets them be alone as they're struggling and being persecuted. So with that, let's just take a, a step back again with this whole passage. We just, we just read this little section. We have Paul, the leader of a group of people, going to arrest a bunch of believers, a bunch of Christians, as they'll be called later on, to Damascus. And as he's walking, I just picture this. Picture this in your minds because this is a, this is a testimony of Saul through the, the words of or the, the hand of, of Luke. This is the testimony of Saul. He is the leader of these people going to imprison people. And when he actually gets to Damascus, he has been completely humbled. He's been absolutely humbled. He was on his knees at the mercy of Jesus. He gets up, he can't see, and now he's being led. He's now a follower. He's being led because he can't see. He has no idea, he has no ability to look after himself. He's now blind, humbled, and insignificant. But that's not how he left. You know, when he left Jerusalem, he was on a mission. He was in charge. And wow, is his world completely and radically shaken here. And that makes me think of, of Coach Buddy. When you watch this Last Chance University, Coach Buddy is that kind of man. He's angry. He's upset. And then you watch season two, and the very first scene that they show of season two is Buddy's reaction to watching himself. And he goes, oh my goodness. I have never disliked someone more than when I disliked myself. When I watched myself, and I I hated who I saw. And he decides for the rest of that season, you see a bit of it, he decides to make a change, and, and he doesn't do a great job. It's hard to change when you've done 60 years of living one way to change like that. But he's making steps. And that's just an encouragement to us, and I'll talk more about that later, about us making steps too. But here in Saul's life, it's radical. One second he's leading, the next second he can't even, he can't do nothing for himself. And notice at the very end, verse 9, he's unable to see for three days, and what does he do? He doesn't eat or drink. I don't, I mean, that's it. All of a sudden we jump to the next passage, but I want to pause. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. Do you guys know that it is humanly impossible to survive after three days? Well, I mean, science doesn't really know much because not many people have tested this, but after three days, they think if you haven't drunk or eaten anything, you will die. So no matter what, he is at nearing death. He must be in some severe discomfort. He has not eaten or drunk for three days. So I, I just think they pa- we don't want to pass over that. He's experiencing something really significant and also humbling, and he's waiting on the Lord. Because Jesus told him, go into the city and you will be told what to do. You're not going to figure it out. You'll be told. So you just sit and wait. All right, so now we're, we're jumping scenes here. We're at Saul, uh, 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 verse 10. Verse 10, let's read to 14 here. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to street called Straight, the Lord said to him. To the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, before we get to, to God's answer here, which is an amazing verse, I want to pause and just again focus on these, these four verses we just read. We have Ananias question God. And I know often we look at that and we go, ooh, Ananias, why would you do that? I mean, it's God. Why would you question God? It makes me like Gideon, you know, who doesn't necessarily trust God at his word at the first time. But I was thinking about this because when I read it too, I, I did my, my typical thing of like, ah, Ananias. Like, you know it's God. It's okay. Why would you be like, ooh, but God... But when I was thinking about this, I, was, I read verse um, 26. Verse 26, we're not going to talk about this in the sermon much, but it talks about how Paul goes to Jerusalem after three years of being in Syria, preaching in Syria and Damascus. And we know that from um, verse 23 where it talks about after many days had passed um, and how in, in, in Galatians 1, we know that that is a three-year time. So it's been a long time. So in three years, Saul arrives in Jerusalem, and the disciples there are terrified of him. After three years of not hearing about Saul, and I'm sure hearing some mutterings about Saul's conversion, they're still terrified of who Saul was. So that kind of gives us a little bit of perspective. If, if, if three years have passed, and Jerusalem is still terrified of Saul, it makes a little sense that Ananias who just yesterday, you know, maybe was hearing about the horrible beatings that Saul was a part of for his brothers and sisters, who maybe people from Jerusalem have fled to Damascus and their, their loved ones, their brothers or sisters, were executed or beaten or imprisoned because of Saul. It makes sense that he's a little bit like, whoa, God, like, I want to follow you, but you do realize this is the guy who has been murdering or, or at least imprisoning all of my friends and family. I, you know, who knows what it is. But that's the kind of idea. So I think we can give them a little bit of slack. And it helps us recognize something as we move forward to the passage. So store that little tidbit in the back of your mind. That that fear, the question, it makes sense. It's not a bad thing. Um, but also it's, it's really interesting. Jesus or the Lord is very specific here as to what he is to do. Again. I won't spend much time on that. We'll move on. But I think it's really interesting how Jesus calls him to a very specific task and he leaves no question as to what's going to happen. He just tells him. Anyways, we'll keep reading. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will so show him how much he must suffer for my name. I want to pause there. This passage is the most important passage uh, about Saul's uh, ministry, about what Paul, whose his name will be changed to Paul, what his ministry is going to be. It tells us exactly what's going to happen. You are my chosen instrument, and you are going to preach to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israelites. That's exactly what Paul's life is. His whole life from this point on is preaching to the Gentiles, 
to the Jews and to, uh, and to the kings. He'll go to, to Roman empires. He'll go all over the place preaching to, to the kings, to Gentiles, and to Israelites. And not only that, he is going to suffer. Now, I, I was, I'm floored. There's a book I have that talks about Paul's suffering and what he has gone by. And it, it says in a really raw way, and if you haven't ever heard of this, it's called The Apostle. It's just a book. It tells Paul's story in a way in which it's very biblically accurate, but yet it's said as if it's a, a, a novel. It's a really interesting read, The Apostle. Go and pick it up. Uh, but I want to read you just some of the suffering that Paul goes through. And this is found in, in 2 uh, Corinthians. It says this, that he was flogged, 40 lashes minus one, so 39 lashes. That's what Jesus had, just by Jews, not by Romans. But he was flogged five times. I can't imagine the scarring you would have on your back being flogged five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned to death, but didn't die, one time. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and night floating in the open sea. And he was often, if not like frequently, imprisoned. I mean, that is a kind of, like, I know, I, I was just uh, surfing the web, and on Amazon, they came with a new documentary called, like, The World's Toughest Race or something. It's weird. But people literally are, like, all over the world want to experience, like, what's the hardest and most difficult persecution I can face and overcome? I don't think anyone, especially Saul, would think that people are going to, you know, want to experience what he experienced. He goes through something horrific, but he does it all for Jesus' name. And it's an amazing testimony we have throughout um, all of, of Saul's life. We have an amazing testimony of a man who, who knows Jesus so intimately, he will accept any suffering for the sake of the gospel. So let's move on again. Let's move on again. Um, we now have Ananias going uh, to Saul. So in verse 17, it says, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues that he is the son of God. So I want to go through, we just read a bunch of stuff again. There's so much in these little verses that we can gloss over so easily. And the first is, how did Ananias go? I've, every time I read this passage, every time the pastor read it, I'm always of the opinion, like instantly, it just comes to my mind, that Ananias isn't going willingly necessarily. He's going a little bit nervous. And I, I get that assumption because of the question that Ananias asked God. Like, are you sure I should go? Are you sure? Do you know who this is? And so when I, when I think of this, I think he's going kind of like, oh boy, yeah, he's nervous. What's going to happen? I'll put my hands on Saul. Please don't murder me. You know, that's what I kind of think of. But I was, I was reading a commentary, a few different ones, and they all kind of said the same thing, and it, it pushed my view, and it's, be, it's, it's changed the way I've seen this. They, they mentioned that they were thinking he's kind of going excited and actually happy because God has just told them one of the worst people in the world 
has accepted me and has changed. And then, and then he's excited to be a part of seeing this miraculous transformation of Saul, the murderer, who is now going to become the promoter. So I was, I was struck by that, and I was like, well, is that really true? And then I realized the first word says a lot about Ananias' attitude towards Saul. Brother. It's not traitor. It's not you heathen. It's brother. And I was like, whoa, that actually is amazing. Ananias, remember, he knows what's happened. He knows the horrible things that Saul has done. And he says, brother Saul. I think that is just a profound statement. And shows a lot to the character of Ananias. But also, it's just an amazing intro to that whole relationship. Where we see an Ananias not scared, but excited to say, hey, you are now a part of our family. I think that is a really, really neat picture. Now we go on, um, he goes on to explain uh, things that he shouldn't even know, right? I mean, Ananias shouldn't have experienced uh, the Damascus Road. No one should have experienced the Damascus Road except Saul. But he says, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road and he has sent me so that you may be healed and filled with the Spirit. And and I want to just stop and, and look at the five things that happened at, at Saul's conversion here. Now, I, I want to be very clear that the book of Acts here is not a prescriptive book. And by that, I mean it's not telling us how everything is to be done. It's not a, a letter of the law book where everything we read, it's like, yeah, check, check, we do this. So when, I'm, when I go through Saul's conversion, this isn't saying, hey, these are the five things everyone experiences specifically at conversion at this time. This is a description of someone's conversion, and it gives us five insights that we know throughout the rest of, of Scripture holds up and is true that this does happen. And so the, the five things are this. You'll see that in your passage when you, from 17 to, to 20. The first thing is that Saul is healed. And notice it's instant healing, and everyone notices. It's like scales falling from his eyes. Uh, that the, the word there is like a rind, like a peel of something just falling from your eyes, and he can see. So it's healing, it's instant. That doesn't mean every time we are healed, it's instant. Sometimes God makes you wait. I, I grew up, one of my good friends in Waltheim, his mother uh, was ill for all, all of our children life, I guess, up until I was 20. And then she was all of a sudden healed from sitting in her bed all day, every day, having no strength, to all of a sudden being able to have strength took 20-some years. Well, more than that, but 20 of my years. Um, You know, sometimes God calls us to wait, but often when he wants to heal, it's not some sort of gradual thing. When you look at the scripture, it's instant and it happens and it's noticeable. Because as we know, the Lord Jesus is our healer. He is the great physician. So there's healing. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's another thing we know. Saul is baptized. Now, people think often, oh, baptism, that's just an, you know, something I can do. It's just something on the side. I would love, love it. If, if, if you think that, I would love to hear a biblical defense as to why you don't need to be baptized. Because I've never heard it. It's always been from a personal perspective, a point of view of maybe fear, of sometimes it's actually just of ignorance, unknown as to why. But baptism is a huge deal. When you look at Scripture, baptism, yeah, we know that you can be saved. Uh, Baptism doesn't clean 
you from your sin. It doesn't actually purify you in any way. It's a symbol. It's a symbol, but it's a super important symbol. And it's a public, um, public proclamation of your faith saying that, yeah, I am a believer. And in, in the Bible's time, it was huge because that was a symbol in which they are now showing to everyone in their community that I am now a follower of the way. I am a Christian. I am a disciple. I am a believer. So baptism was a huge part of what it means to be a Christian and still, I believe, is. I think it's still important. So if you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you right now, read your Bible, read all the passage around baptism, and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you because you should be. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You should be. And it's actually a really cool thing, and I love it. So, and Jordan loves baptisms too, so please talk to us. We'd love to baptize you and be a part of that amazing uh, thing. So anyways, baptism is the third thing. Fourth thing, in verse 19, it, it says that Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Saul joins the community of the believers. He joins the church body. That actually is a part of conversion, is being a part of the body, the church. Again, another thing a lot of people think, I can be a Christian without going to church or without being a part of the body of Christ. Show me where that is in Scripture. I will uh, beg, uh, I'll bet that you can't find it in Scripture to prove you right in that area. No, you need to be a part of the body of Christ. He is the head of the church, and we are all, as Christians, a part of that body. And he joins with the disciples in Damascus, which I think is also a really interesting thing because the disciples in Damascus are people who have heard the persecution that Saul's done. And I, I can't imagine, I mean, if you put yourself in their shoes, if you were one of the people in Damascus whose brother or sister is in prison in Jerusalem because of, of Saul and you fled, and now you're being told, hey, Saul's a part of our church, the amount of emotion that must be going on there. Because you have to forgive, right? I mean, we are Christian. We understand the importance of that and how we have no standing to hold grudges because uh, Jesus isn't against us. But, but that, I think, is a really interesting and important, significant thing that the believers are with him and join with him. He's a part of the church there. And the last thing with, with Saul's conversion that we see is that he begins to preach that, that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't be a Christian if you aren't confessing Jesus. You can't. I mean, that, it, it just, you, I mean, it doesn't even make logical sense. If you call yourself a Christian, but you don't tell people about Jesus, you don't proclaim Christ as, as uh, the Messiah, it makes zero sense, because that's the whole point is why you're a Christian. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. You have to profess and confess Christ as Savior. And notice, I love the word choice that, that Luke writes here. That, I mean, he's, he's recording what uh, presumably Paul, or Saul, sorry, said. And it says that he is the Son of God. That is the very statement that, that uh, caused Christ to get executed, right, on the cross. Was that he was the Son of God. That's blasphemy. And that same guy, Saul, who is standing at the cross of Christ, I mean, we don't know necessarily, but he's alive. He, when Jesus is persecuted, and he stands at Stephen and says, yes, let's kill him. 
He, he, he's saying yes to that. I'm sure he said yes to when, when Jesus Christ was being crucified. I'm sure he's like, yeah, do it, because he said he's the son of God, and that's blasphemy. That same guy who was giving approval to the death of Jesus is now saying, hey, guess what? Jesus is the son of God. It's just this radical life change. Radical life change. And I think that is so cool. The persecutor has become the promoter. Man, I really love the testimony of Saul, if you haven't noticed yet. I think it is so cool. And I want this testimony of Saul, this, this testimony of his, his transformation, to be as if you've just heard that testimony yourself today. You know, if we were sitting here, if we were having a baptism, if Saul was here giving his personal testimony, we just read it. You know, that's what he would say. He does it three more times in Acts, and each one gives us a little more, um, gives a little more to the story in Acts 22, 26. Read those uh, after the service, maybe, and it just hits you in new ways, but it's so cool how God has gotten a hold of Saul's life. I want to share briefly my testimony. Because it lines up really interestingly with Saul, though not nearly, uh, yeah, I'm not going to put it on the same level. It's very different. But it's, it, there's interesting significance. So when I was 15, I was driving in a charter bus to Edmonton with a youth group. And as we were nearing um, what's it, the Borden Bridge, which I think we have a picture of, and you'll have one online, I believe. Uh, as we were nearing Borden Bridge, uh, you can see here, this is the direction we're going. We're going westbound towards Edmonton. Oh, I'm getting out of the line of the camera, sorry. As we were traveling, our driver has a stroke or a heart attack. I don't really remember. I was 15. But either way, he loses consciousness. The bus goes in the middle of the, of the road, and you can see it there. We're right on the middle of the, of the road here, and boom, that's what happens in the end. The bus driver wakes up the last second, veers the bus onto the eastbound lane, hits the, the guardrail, and somehow the bus, if you know anything about buses, they're driving, you know, 100, 110 miles, or kilometers an hour, not miles an hour, <laughs> kilometers an hour, and um, you're, you're going pretty fast. And if a bus veers to an angle and hits something hard, scientifically speaking, the back end, which will be going faster than the front end, will spin around and will carry on. That's just the science, or whatever. Anyways, that's what should have happened. But somehow our bus ends up going onto the guardrail, and instead of spinning, it just goes over and then actually spins the other way around. And you can see it right now. It's, it's, it's facing the westbound road um, when it had just come that direction. It, none of what you see there makes sense. But there's 60 kids, 60 at least kids, on that bus, and all 60 of us are still alive today, to my knowledge. But that day, they did not take us. That day took no one's life, and that is simply because the Lord Jesus is in control. And for me, a 15-year-old at the very front of that bus who happened to witness it all, sitting in shock as you're going down the highway, and you're starting, you're waking up a little bit at 6 in the morning, so you're a little groggy, but you're shaking, you're like, what's going on? You realize we're in the ditch, and I see that there's a, a river, but it's kind of a cliff. If you've gotten aboard, it's a bit of a cliffy thing, river, and you're like, 
I think we're going to die. This is weird. And all of a sudden, you wake up, because I got a little bit knocked out. Um, You wake up, and there's chaos, and everyone's out of the bus, and there's blood, and there's, you're like, what is going on? You're disorientated. You get out, and you realize, hey, wait, literally everyone's okay? What just happened? That was my experience where God radically shook my life. At that moment, I've told my dad this a few times, that moment, I don't know where I was going. I don't know. It scares me. I'm sorry, I get a little emotional, but it scares me when I think about that. But what's really, really cool is that I had a moment where God said, hey, I got you. But I realized something really important. I'm not in control. And that day led to a life transformation. I got baptized. I recommitted my life to Christ. And, I'm, and whether or not I was a Christian before, I don't really care. Because my life has completely changed since that incident. I am a new person in Christ Jesus. All glory to God. That is what Saul, what happens to Saul in a radical way, even more radical way than I experienced. That, that Saul sees Jesus. Saul sees Jesus and his life has a radical change, a radical transformation. Buddy watches his own self on TV and leads to him having a radical transformation in his life. And today, right now, I invite you, those of you watching online, those of you here in the sanctuary, I invite you to have a radical transformation. To look at what the Bible tells you. To read it and to say, Lord God, I'm willing. What are you calling me to? Because this is the interesting thing about all of this. Jesus calls Saul to something special. Jesus calls Ananias to be a part of something special. And Jesus is calling you as followers of Christ to be a part of something special. And some of you watching right now, you do not know Jesus. Some of you need to right now get on your knees and, and, and ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. And so what we're going to do to close this is we're gonna, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, I invite you to pray with me the prayer that I ask, I'm going to lead you through. And for those of you who do know Jesus, I want to ask you right now, and, and we'll pray this through, but I want you to pray with me and allow yourself to be open to God's calling wherever it's leading you right now. Because I believe that God right now, for those of you who are Christian, is calling you to go on missions. I don't know what that looks like. You do. But I am not, I'm, I'm convinced that my five years here at this church, we've seen Ryan Minchinsky go off and be a missionary. And that is the only new missionary we've sent in five years of being here. And and he really was ready before I even got here. But I believe there are people in this church who know that they are being called by God and have not said yes. And some of you in this church, I mean, we have a, a, a lot of retired people here. Some of you need to retire elsewhere. Some of you need to go as um, some of our people, when we were in Inklink in the mission field there doing a, a short-term trip, uh, there was a retired couple out in the bush. That's where they went to retire for, for four or five years at least. They were there while we were there. So maybe God is telling you, hey, we need, you need 
to get off of your comfort zone and go. And some of you, your business owners, your accountants, you are being called by God today to be missional in your life, to be on missions, to stop being an accountant, but go be a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ as an accountant, and that your primary business owning role is not to help people have jobs, it's to help people find Jesus, and the jobs and all that that you give others is just second fiddle. So today I invite you to open yourself up to whatever God is calling you to do, however it is that you are being called to live missionally, because we all are called to live missionally. It looks different to each one of us, but God is calling, and I firmly, firmly believe that God is calling some of us to be on missions, to go to cross-culture missions. I mean, that is an amazing part of what A.B. Simpson was all about, missions. Not just missions at your own church, even though that was a huge thing for him, missions in your community, but overseas missions, because there are people who don't know Jesus who need to know Jesus. And some of you here or online need to know Jesus. So let's pray, and I'll walk us through two prayers here, and then we'll close. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you did in Saul's life and the testimony we have in your word about what happened in Saul's life. Lord Jesus, some of us are sinners. Some of us have been persecuting you. Some of us have never given our lives to you. We don't even know you. But Lord, we sense your spirit. We sense the conviction of your spirit. And we know that, that you are real. For those of you who do not know Jesus and want to accept Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I accept that I am a sinner. I accept that I have fallen short, that I have sinned against you. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again for my sins. And I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior, and I will forever have you as the Lord of my life. And all that I am and all that I have, I give to you for your glory, for you to use as you deem worthy and as you want. I offer myself to you. And Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness, which I do not earn by any merit of myself, but which you give to me through grace. And for those of you who are are believers, I invite you to just to pray this simple prayer. Lord, I am willing. Lord, I am willing and open to go where you lead me. Lord God, I ask that you will allow us all to have open hearts, open minds, open ears to your Spirit's leading and prompting right now. Convict us, encourage us, and lead us, Lord God, for the rest of this week, but also right now. Lord, give us open hearts, open ears, open eyes to see where you're directing us, pointing us, and leading us. And Lord, we ask that you radically change us. And even a a three-degree change of, of a ship Yeah, at the beginning it seems like no change at all, but we know that you take that ship, you go miles and miles down, and a three-degree change, that becomes a drastically different place. That becomes a drastically different destination. So, Lord Jesus, we ask that if anything, change us at least to three degrees. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thanks for that, Matt. Yeah. We know we serve a great God, that there is no other God like our God, that he has come to save us, that he has, you know, like Matt said, he, he has come to change our lives. So if you guys want to stand up and sing this next song with us.
I'll lead you in the benediction. Um, it's an amazing benediction for what we just went through, for the scripture we just went through, and it's from First Thessalonians. I love this. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. The one who called you today, whether to give your life for the first time to Christ or to change in a subtle way in the way you see your daily life, that same God who has called you to this is faithful and he will see it through to completion. That is amazing. Amen. Go in peace to love and to serve Christ. You are dismissed and stay seated. Uh, But for those of you online, we'll see you next Sunday. And for those of you here in the the church, uh, Sue and Tammy will direct us uh, as we leave. So stay seated for the next little bit. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Love to see you all. Adios. Thank you.